0: There are those that believe in freedom of speech, freedom of expression and freedom for humanity. And then there's those that just play at it. They might poke it with a stick from time to time, but deep down, they don't really believe in it. Not wholeheartedly. And then there's a third group, a group that saw a hole in the market that was worthy of exploitation. Because after all, freedom lovers, they've got cash on the hip too. Groups two and three have spent the last few days viciously attacking and even calling for the arrest of the British cartoonist Bob Moran. Now Bob, you may recall, was the cartoonist for the mainstream Daily Telegraph newspaper before being let go for his pro-freedom and anti-COVID fascism drawings. COVID was a weird time, wasn't it? What's Bob done to upset these faux freedom warriors, then, you may ask? Well, he drew a picture. Yep, the anti-wokers are offended by a cartoon, and they're not even offended for themselves. But they're offended to the point of contacting the police on behalf of the cartoon subject, Benjamin Netanyahu. They're offended on behalf of a soulless and completely corrupt war criminal who sold his own population to Pfizer as lab rats back in 2020. He's a nice bloke. More offended that the cartoon depicts him feasting on the flesh of dead Palestinian children than they are by the massacre of over 25,000 people in Gaza, over 10,000 of them children, all on the orders of Mr Netanyahu. They're offended by the perceived anti-Semitism, because of course any criticism of Israel and its government is anti-Semitic. Them's the rules. That's why Twitter went from a pro-censorship platform where you couldn't call out Israel to X, a pro-freedom of speech platform where you can't call out Israel it's seamless I'm a free speech advocate these people claim but I'm not an absolutist ah so you're an advocate for free speech when you agree with it then got ya. and if you don't get the Metropolitan Police on the phone after all they don't have enough stabbings to investigate of course when you go back to these people questioning why they think the police should arrest someone for a cartoon they'll say things like oh so you should be allowed to call for the death of all Muslims then nope Incite to violence, incite to kill. There's laws for that already, mate. Oh, so you should be allowed to claim someone's a paedophile, say, and ruin their lives then. Nope. Defamation, slander, libel. Law's in place for that as well. Next. But many are defending Bob Moran and pointing out the similarities between this and the Charlie Hebdo attacks in which cartoonists in Paris were slaughtered, it's claimed, for the magazine's offensive depictions of the Prophet Muhammad. It's not similar in the murderous nature of the attacks, of course, that would be a ridiculous claim, but it's worth pointing out how these same people going for Bob now jumped to defend Charlie Hebdo's right to depict Muhammad however they wanted on the basis of free speech and expression. So what's the difference? Where is the Jesuit Bob hashtag? The lineup of morally bankrupt politicians all arm in arm to exploit the situation. Who was front and centre of that completely stage-managed show of solidarity again? I forget. Was his name Ben or something? While I see the reasons that people are pointing out the hypocrisy here, the current pylon actually reminds me more of the infamous Mir One mural. Now, an American artist called Mir One painted a very powerful image of bankers playing Monopoly on the backs of a naked and crippled population. The artwork was labeled anti-Semitic and was used some six years after its creation to try and destroy both Mir One himself, but also the then Labour Party leader, Jeremy Corbyn, who had previously admired the artwork. Of course, Corbyn caved to the mob like a wet cake, because that's what Corbyn does, see Brexit. But I was more interested in finding out what the painting was really all about. And so I actually interviewed Mere One back in 2018. The image depicts Rothschild, Jewish. Rockefeller, not Jewish. Morgan, not Jewish. Carnegie, not Jewish. Warburg, Jewish. And Alistair Crowley, not Jewish. So I'm confused. So is Mere One in trouble for all of the men in the mural, or just two of them? And would Bob Moran be in this trouble if his cartoon depicted, say, Vladimir Putin feasting on a Ukrainian child or Xi Jinping or Bashir al-Assad or Ebrahim Raisi? Now, if the answer is no, which of course it is, why is that? What do you think that the climate scam is about at its heart? Because when I speak to people, people say, oh, it's money-making exercise. And obviously on one level, that's true, of course. But it's more than that, isn't it?
1: Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, the um, uh, so in the early 20th century, um, eugenics was huge. But then, you know, it was starting to become uh, imposed in policies. Like in California, they had a very um, advanced um, – advanced, probably not the right word, but sterilization policy where they were actually um, forcing um, young women who, you know, were of um, – That's what we now call learning disabilities. uh, But they were expanding the the scope of this. And then Nazi Germany carried on where the Americans um, started. And uh, the whole thing about eugenics got a bad name with the Nazis. And therefore, after the Second World War, the the powers that be couldn't continue to talk about eugenics in the way that they had earlier in the century. And so they rebranded it, Gareth. They rebranded it in the color green they invented um, ecological doom. They recreated the ideas of Thomas Malthus in the late 18th century, which was that that, that, that there was this potential uh, for humankind to increase food production, but nowhere near as fast as the um, rapid rise in, in, in population. And therefore, people would starve. And this was re- reinvented in in 1968 um, with the the population bomb by Paul Ehrlich, and the founding of the Club of Rome, which is a body which has had immense in, um, influence on the United Nations, leading to the Rio Summit. And now we have the World Economic Forum, which you know most people are aware of because that that unlike other globalist bodies, they actually promote themselves. They publicize themselves they their annual shindigs in, in, in Davos. But mostly this work is done behind the scenes, Gareth. If, if you ask um, an average person um, who was around in the 60s, um, if you ask them, what was 1968 famous for? And they'll say, oh, civil rights movement, um, uh, protests against the Vietnam War, the student riots in Paris, the ascent of second wave feminism, and so on. They won't know necessarily that the real events, the really important events of 1968, is what I call anno domini in the book, because this was like a you know the beginnings of this para religious cult of, of the um, the green the, the climate agenda, founding of the Club of Rome and Paul Ehrlich's eugenicist book, The Population Bomb. And everything that's happened since Gareth um, is what was marked out in 1968 as as where this cult would be leading us.
2: These career researchers and professors and people at the academic institutions who have probably received funding to do research on certain pharmaceuticals, or have um, spent their whole career pushing uh, a certain idea about a particular disease and the best way to treat that disease. So you're absolutely right. It's not just about money, but also people's career and reputation. And also the field of medicine is really difficult. Uh, It's difficult for any medical practitioner to stand up and be counted and to go against the grain and um, try to say something different than what is the, the conventional wisdom.
0: Well, yeah, well, we saw that throughout COVID. There's doctors, you know, people like Dr. David Cartland, that are still, still being attacked consistently now on, on a daily basis. Uh, what made you want to make this film? Because obviously previously you've made films about, about statins and stuff, which is very, very interesting because we're told cholesterol is bad. But actually, the more you look into it, that's actually not the case. Um, so what was it about this, um, this report that really interested you?
2: Well, I think, uh, well, I, first of all, I got into making documentary films by mistake, really by accident, because, um, I used to be a sports massage therapist and I read a book by a Swedish doctor about the cholesterol myths, the, which is still the classic, uh, text on the subject. And that really, uh, was just unveiled all the deception for me. It was the first time, my first, um, experience of, um, realizing that, um, things are not as we are told and, um, So that prompted me to, first of all, write my own book about the cholesterol and statins issue. And then I wanted to convert the book into a documentary film. And I was surprised to find that I found it easy to edit the footage and put it together in a way that everyone can understand. And so I just followed on from that and and continue. And now I've made, um, this is my eighth documentary film. Wow. And, and, uh, the, The latest one in the shadow of Flexner really is, um, this point again to try to show people how the system that we have now is not, is not the best one by the, by a long stretch of the imagination. And, um, to try and prompt people, more and more people to think about, um, The medical system and for us gradually to move to something more like integrative uh, medicine whereby we can incorporate all kinds of complementary and alternative therapies and with more research we can find out which type of uh, medical treatment is best for each type of medical condition so again not being dogmatic towards just the pharmaceuticals and supporting the medical industrial complex
0: in terms of this, obviously, this citizen inquiry, you know, you, t- tell me about that in terms of how you're going to carry that out. Because obviously, if it's going to, to a, a federal court, you know, they're not going to investigate themselves, basically. So how, how are you going about this?
3: Well, part of what uh, prompted the National Citizens Inquiry was the absolute farce uh, investigation the government did on themselves with regard to invoking the Emergencies Act. So. Uh, Canadian citizens got together, thousands of them across the country, by the way, and they put their time, their effort, their money into the National Citizens' Inquiry. And we've completed the inquiry. We, We started hearings in March of 2023. We went right across the country, you know, from one coast to the other. We stopped in eight major cities. In each city, we carried out three full days of hearings. And when I say full days of hearings, I mean... There were uh, days we sat there for 14, 15 hours listening to uh, sworn testimony. Wow. We, heard, we heard testimony from over 300 witnesses, nine, around 92 or 93 of those were world-renowned experts. The rest were everyday Canadians. We, um, the, the, the report was uh, written independently by the four commissioners, and I'm the chairman of those commissioners. We um, issued our report. Uh, and I want to I make sure your, your listeners understand that we started our hearings in March. We uh, submitted our, our report on November 28th. It was 5,342 pages long. It had 4,699 pages of sworn transcripts of the witnesses. And the report body, the analysis portion was 643 pages. This report cost the taxpayer zero dollars. There was no participation of corporate uh, Canada. there were or major corporations. There were no uh, big pharma money in it. there was not a, not a dime from Can- the government of Canada or any other government in it. This was all paid for by everyday Canadians uh, putting in their ten dollars, their hundred dollars uh, and it had support from thousands and thousands of volunteers across the country. So when I saw and you mentioned it a little earlier when I saw that the UK government's investigation oh. of COVID has now been postponed indefinitely. I have a feeling, maybe I'm being arrogant here, but I have a feeling that they read our report and they didn't want that coming
0: out. <laughs> well, I, I, I genuinely think that things started coming out in it that they were trying to bury and they were trying to do so much spin that I think they actually got dizzy, if I'm honest, and thought, you know what, if we keep trying to do this, we're all going to end up on our backs. So let's just, you know, sack it off. And and they kind of have this attitude of, they won't remember, they won't remember. But of course, people will remember, people do remember. Um, And especially with with stuff, you you know, like uh, vaccine injury and and vaccine deaths. And therefore, you know, the the relatives, children of mothers and fathers of of victims that are left, these people are not going to forget because it affects them every single day. that's all for this week. Thank you for tuning in. Last week, we were talking about the fact that this year would be a spicy one. It seems that time is running out for the all-powerful and so desperation is about to kick in. Their attempts to break the population on behalf of their great reset masters will increase in severity and regularity. Economic collapse, mass wars, pandemics, climate catastrophe, their aces that are residing, not very secretly, Up the sleeve, it's January and Joe Biden has already bombed Yemen, Syria, Iraq and Somalia. He doesn't know he has, of course. He's still trying to get a Pez out of the Daffy Duck Pez dispensary. He's been at it for hours. NATO are about to embark on Operation Steadfast Defender 24, the largest war games exercise they've ever carried out. Steadfast Defender 24, what an embarrassing name. They really are just silly little boys, aren't they? Get these melts some Warhammer figurines to paint. I'll keep them busy. Britain's unelected Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has already been to the Ukraine to promise more taxpayers' money for NATO's proxy war with Russia. And this is all while charities are warning that millions of Brits are about to have their energy cut off as they can't keep up the payments. Oh, yeah, and by the way, they're talking about conscription now because the army's not big enough. Forgot about that. Then we have the pandemic treaty bubbling away in the background. They're struggling to get it through. So you know what that means? means there's a pandemic incoming. If only we had a treaty to prevent this, the serfs will say, wistfully. And then there's the biggest one of all, climate change. There's storms in the UK and Europe, as I speak, storms that have always occurred. It's winter. But apparently these ones are different, according to Sky News. They aren't. But you knew they were going to pretend that storms were a new thing when they just randomly started naming them. This one's called Jocelyn. Hi, Jocelyn. They're desperate, and that's becoming more and more clear. They've lost the narrative on nearly everything, and people are seeing through the absurdities of all of it. That's why they've deployed the mainstream alternative media, but even they can't keep the actual storm, the storm of freedom, in its box. Good night.